0: 1 Timothy 2, 8. I desire, therefore, that the man pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Thank you, Dusty, for reading our scripture tonight. We are grateful for your presence, and we have had a good day together. Our attendance has been rocked, and it's almost hard to believe how low we are. Uh, We were very low this morning, and we're low tonight and I was thinking it's been a long time since I've seen us this low. It reminds me of listening to Cher on one occasion when she said, I've been young and now I'm old. Young is better. And she said, I've been poor and I've been rich. Rich is better. Well, I think about from the vantage point of our attendance, we've been low and we've been high. High is better. And so We are in the process of expanding the auditorium because we've run out of space. You couldn't tell that tonight, but it is the case. And so hopefully and prayerfully, our efforts will not be in vain. And we hope and pray that we can fill this assembly with souls. We're gonna be looking tonight at 1 Timothy chapter two. I would invite you to look with me at 1 Timothy two. We have been talking about the acts of worship and we have been engaged in a series of studies that relate to worship and the great blessings that we enjoy as the people of God and the fact that we have the opportunity to come together on a regular basis to worship God in spirit and in truth and tonight I want us to think about prayer in worship to God and prayer is a great blessing and the songs that we sang tonight all focused On the privilege and the blessings that we enjoy as God's people because we have the throne of God to which we can avail ourselves at any time day or night and that is a tremendous blessing Peter said the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil tonight I want us to look at 1st Timothy chapter 2 as we think about worship and the importance of worship and how prayer relates to our worship to God. There are five acts of worship, and prayer is one of those acts. And so, first of all, I wanna call your attention to the pattern for prayer in worship. When we talk about a pattern, we're talking about a blueprint. And we have a divine blueprint for worship to Almighty God. Now, when Paul wrote to Timothy, really, if you wanted a thesis statement, of the book of 1 Timothy it would be chapter 3 verse 15 where Paul said but if I'm delayed or if I tarry long I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct or behave yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so in the book of 1 Timothy some of the things that Paul discusses relate to our worship to Almighty God and not just our worship to God but also we talk about the structure, the organizational structure of the church. In chapter 3, Paul sets forth the qualifications of those who would serve as elders and deacons in the church. And so that's a great lesson in and of itself. But tonight, as we think about the pattern for prayer in worship and the blueprint that we have before us, I want to begin by calling your attention to the place for prayer in worship is there a place for prayer in worship to almighty god well i i think that all of us would agree the answer would be yes or resounding yes but look if you would at first timothy chapter two at verse eight paul said i will therefore or i desire that the men pray everywhere now some translations say that men pray in every place and i think what I think what Paul is saying here is that whenever the church comes together, it is always right and appropriate for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to engage in the act of prayer. Now, if you look at the New Testament, you'll find that the early church engaged in corporate prayer. In Acts chapter two at verse 42, the Bible tells us that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so regularly they prayed to Jehovah God. And I would submit unto you that one of the things that they did in worship, they prayed to God. In Acts chapter four, we looked at Acts four earlier today in our study and we talked about the command that was given to Peter and John not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And of course they responded by saying we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so after they left the presence of the council they went back to those who were members of the body of Christ. They rehearsed the events that had transpired and they engaged in prayer to Almighty God. They prayed that with all boldness they might speak the word of God. And then in Acts chapter 12 we read about Herod. The Bible tells us that Herod put forth his hand and had James, the brother of John, killed by the sword. The Bible tells us in that context that he apprehended or had the apostle Peter apprehended and placed in prison. Well, in verse 5, the Bible tells us that the church offered prayer to God on behalf of Peter. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that they engaged in constant prayer. For him to God. And so I believe that they understood the power of prayer. And really, if you look at that same that same text, you'll find that Peter is later released. And then in Acts chapter 13, we read about the church at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas, they are they're about to embark on their missionary endeavors. And the Bible tells us that the brethren at Antioch engaged in prayer to God on their behalf. And so prayer was a normal part of of the life of the church. It was a part of New Testament worship in the first century, and it is a part of our worship to God today. Now we talk about the place for worship, or rather the place for prayer in worship. There are a lot of passages of scripture that we can appeal to that have to do with prayer, and we talk about passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, where Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica and he said brethren, pray for us. I can just imagine the church collectively coming together on the first day of the week or maybe they come together in the middle of the week and they engage in prayer to God on behalf of their brother Paul and maybe some of his traveling companions. In Colossians chapter four verse two, again Paul writes to another congregation and to those saints he says continue steadfastly in prayer watching their end with thanksgiving. And then he goes on to say, praying also for us. And so I, I think about the church at Colossae. When they came together, one of the things that they did in their worship to God, they prayed. And I believe that they would have prayed for the apostle Paul and those who were laborers with him because Paul was in prison. And no doubt the apostle Paul needed their prayers. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in verse eight. What about the people who are to lead prayer in worship well look at verse eight in verse eight here's what paul said therefore i desire that the men pray everywhere or in every place lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting now the word for men here is male only There's a difference in the word men. There's a difference in the original language for the word men. And if you back up and look at verses 3 and 4, look at verses 3 and 4. Listen to what Paul said. He said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He said, who desires all men. The word for men there is the word that in the original denotes both male and female. But in verse eight, the Greek word is A-N-E-R and it simply designates male only. And so what Paul is saying here is that God would have males to lead in public prayer. Now, having said that, drop down and look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul said, for I suffer not or I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence. Well, sometimes individual ha- individuals have the idea that, that this was a cultural thing. And some would say that the Apostle Paul was biased. Maybe he was a male chauvinist. Well, that's not the case at all. What we have to understand is there are differing roles and responsibilities given to both male males and females. And the men, they have their responsibilities and roles. And the women, they have their roles and responsibilities likewise. But look at verse 13. Sometimes individuals say, well, what Paul was saying was cultural in nature. Well, Paul dismisses that argument. Why? Because he said, Adam was formed first. Then Eve. That's not a cultural statement. And then he goes on to say, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, fell into transgression. Now we talk about the headship of man and the authority of Christ. And really what the Apostle Paul is doing is regulating those who would function as leaders in worship. And the bottom line is, will we respect what God has said in his word? Now when we talk about the roles and responsibilities of males and females, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul said that I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. What's Paul saying there? He's simply saying that there is a divine order of things. And I think when we talk about the church and we talk about the corporate assembly, God is saying that males are to take the lead in the assembly, that is, in the worship assembly. Well, sometimes individuals will say, that that seems chauvinistic. And, and again, sometimes individuals have the idea that Paul is talking about a cultural thing, that this is merely Paul's opinion. No, it's not Paul's opinion. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, that if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So what Paul was saying here about worship and those who lead in worship wasn't his own opinion, but rather he was directed by the Holy Spirit to pen these words because God in heaven is the one who has designated this order. Well, there are some people in our world today that would make, it, make the argument There are a lot of intelligent women and they have a lot of abilities and they have a lot to offer so why not allow them to lead in the corporate assembly? I mean, after all, it makes sense, doesn't it? That's what the world says. Please listen very carefully. It's not about ability. It's about authority. There are a lot of women that are very talented. There are women that are very capable speakers. There are women that are excellent students when it comes to the word of God. I don't don't doubt that a bit. But the bottom line is God is saying in the church and in the realm of worship, men are to take the lead. Now we look at chapter three, verses one and following, where the apostle Paul talks about those who serve as elders and deacons in the church. Well, who did God designate to serve in these capacities? Males, well I know that there are a lot of religious organizations today and there are some congregations of God's people, believe it or not, that they have decided that they're gonna appoint women to serve in leadership roles, they have taken the initiative to allow them to, to lead in public worship in mixed Bible classes, but. Please listen very carefully. That is not God's way. It comes down to whether or not we are willing to respect the authority of Christ. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. God the Father said in Matthew 17, 5, we are to hear him. Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever we do in word or deed, we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that means is we're to do it by his authority. And there is no authority for women serving in leadership positions in the Lord's church. Now, there are a lot of of opportunities for women to serve. And I don't think that when the Apostle Paul set forth these regulations, he was saying in any way that women are second-rate citizens in the kingdom of God. That's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, I believe that women in many respects are the backbone of the church. There are a lot of congregations that have literally been held together by godly women. If it were not for godly women, some of those congregations would not be present today. Brother Billy, when he preached at Ford's Well for many years, talked about how there were some faithful women that basically were there every time the doors were open. And they left him to do all the, uh, actually, left him to carry out the acts of, of worship for them. And by that I mean he preached, he led singing, he waited on the Lord's table, he led prayer, and I assume he passed the plate too. Well, that happens sometimes. But nonetheless, we're grateful for women. And you can read about what Paul said in Titus chapter 2, where the aged women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children to be keepers in the home. There are a lot of things that godly women can do in the church. And so I'm very grateful for that. But what about the purpose of prayer in worship? Are there some blessings for us in worship when it comes to the act of prayer? Well, I believe there are. I want you to go back and look now with me at chapter 2 again. First of all, note with me the exhortation to pray. In verse 1, Paul said, Therefore I exhort or I encourage that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I looked with you just a moment ago at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because in Acts 2, 42, one of the things characteristic of the early church was Prayer. And Paul here is saying that one of, the, one of the things that is the lifeblood of the church is prayer. We ought to engage in prayer individually in our spiritual lives. But corporately, we are also instructed to pray. There are a lot of reasons why we are to pray. But you can read throughout the New Testament, and you will see any number of passages of Scripture encouraging God's people to pray. Jesus said, as recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought to always pray and not faint. Jesus would have us engaging in prayer on a regular basis. And then I think about the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, when he said, pray without ceasing. And I believe that Paul was saying there that that prayer ought to be a normal part of everyday Christian living. The psalmist in the long ago said, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. Faithful Jews, they prayed three times a day. You and I, we have the opportunity to approach the throne of God day, night, or as some people say, on Sunday. We, we, We can approach the throne of God anytime. To know that we can stand before God in prayer and that he will hear us, what a great blessing. So we're encouraged to pray. But look with me if you would at some examples of those for whom we should pray. Now, before we look at some of the examples, I want to say this, that when we pray to God, one of the things that we need to remember to do is we need to remember to give him thanksgiving. Look at all the great blessings and benefits that we enjoy as God's people. It only stands to reason that when we approach him in prayer, that we remind, that we that we remind ourselves of all he's done for us and express that to him. Again, look at what Paul said in Colossians 4:2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. In Philippians chapter 4 at verse 6, Paul said, In nothing be anxious but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. So we can thank Jehovah God, for all of the great blessings that we enjoy in life. James said, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. And there's no way that you and I can, can itemize all the blessings we enjoy in this life. But then also another thing that I would submit unto you as we think about our prayers offered to God, we ought to acknowledge his greatness, his superiority, We ought to to remember that we are in the presence of an almighty God, an eternal God. And he is worthy of our praise and adoration. And we ought to praise and adore him for all that he has done and that all he continues to do. And so I wanted to just mention that before we look at some of the examples of people for whom we should pray. Number one, I believe that we ought to pray for the lost. Look at what Paul said again in verse three. Paul said, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Christ came to save sinners. Paul said, the apostle Paul said, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And you and I, as his people, we need to be concerned about the lost. We ought to pray for the lost. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, when he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and supplication to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Do you know somebody in a lost condition tonight. Do you know anybody? I dare say, well, I would imagine all of us know at least one person who's lost. When you think about the vast sea of people that we come in contact with on a daily basis, on a daily basis the majority of which are outside the body of Christ, we ought to be praying for those people. We ought to pray. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4. You remember in Colossians 4 when Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving? He said, praying also for us that God would open a door for the word. That I might speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. What Paul was saying is pray to God that he would open a door so that I might have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who's lost and dying in sin. If we're not praying for doors of opportunity to be opened in this community, whether it be our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, if we're not doing that, we're missing out on something. If we're not concerned about the lost, then we're not Christ-like because Jesus was concerned about the lost. Jesus came to die for lost people. And Jesus was interested in lost people. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus was interested in the lost. And you and I as members of the body of Christ, we ought to be interested in the lost. I would, I would recommend, I would encourage all of us, identify one person. Start with one person. Identify that individual. Begin praying for that person. Pray that God would open a door for you to speak the gospel to that individual. Share the gospel. When that, when that word falls on good and honest hearts, the Bible says it will yield fruit. We have no control over whether or not somebody's going to obey the gospel, but we do have control over whether or not that gospel seed is sown. And if it's not being sown, guess what? It's not going to yield any kind of harvest. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4 Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he might send forth laborers into his fields. The church today needs laborers, we need men and women interested in the lost. There are a lot of congregations. They're either dying or dead. And the reason they're dying or dead is because they're not evangelizing. We have a tremendous opportunity in this community. We're in the process of expanding this auditorium. And it's not just for the sake of numbers, because people represent souls. And people are either going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. There is no in between. And what we want, we want to see people being saved. And that's what God wants because the Bible says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. People can't know the truth if you and I don't share it. They'll never know the truth of Almighty God unless we open our mouths and begin talking to people about the Son of God. So we need to be praying for the lost. A second class of people that we ought to be praying for The sick and suffering. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're sick, they're suffering, and one of the blessings that we have collectively as God's people is we can bring to people's attention those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who have lost loved ones, those who are hurting in any way, and guess what? God in heaven will hear our prayers. Every time we come together, we make known in a public way, those who are requesting prayers on their behalf. What a great blessing to know that we can go before the throne of God and individually cite people who need our prayers. Remember what the Hebrew writer said, let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here are people that have needs. What are we doing? We're bowing in the presence of Almighty God. We're laying their names before his throne. And God in his providence does what? He responds accordingly. Do we believe in prayer? Do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we believe in the privilege of prayer? What a great blessing to know that we can can come before God and make our wants and petitions known. I cited a moment ago Acts chapter 12 at verse 5 where the church prayed for Peter. Peter was in prison. I don't know what his circumstances were in prison, but I I can't imagine they were very comfortable. I think about the apostle Paul. Paul wrote four inspired letters from prison and the apostle Paul needed people praying for him. And I think people were praying for him. But Paul was probably not in the best of circumstances, but people on the outside could do what? They could pray. I think about individuals in the body of Christ who may not be able to do a lot because of their physical condition one thing they can do is pray and when we come together collectively, corporately we can engage in prayer to almighty God and we have the assurance that our prayers are heard a third class of individuals that we ought to be praying for leaders in our government look if you would at verse 1 again Paul said "I, I exhort first of all The supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority. If there was ever a time in the history of this country that we ought to be praying for leadership, it's now. Our country is literally upside down. And to be quite frank, I'm not sure if those guys in Washington have one clue what they're doing. I, I really don't have a lot of faith in those guys. I think a lot of those guys are self-serving piranhas. If you had some time, I could tell you how I really feel. (laughs) I think that there was a time in this country when men and women, they served in political offices because they genuinely cared about people and about the betterment of this country. But based on what I see in our country today, it seems like political offices are places for the elite. And it seems to me that a lot of times, these individuals who go in political offices, they are either corrupt or they become corrupt once they've been in office. And sadly, I think their motives Well, they're selfish. It's all about them. We need to pray for those who are in leadership positions in this country. There is a difference in America and ancient Israel. We are not a theocracy. I would freely grant that God has blessed this nation immensely. And the Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to look at our country, at our society in a very candid way. But when you you begin to look at, at the leadership of our government, you have to wonder what the future holds. I fully believe that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. God is involved in the affairs of mankind. God is involved in the affairs of this nation. But you and I, we belong to the family of God. And so what we have to do, we have to let our light shine. We have to be a leavening agent for good because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But we need to be praying collectively, corporately for our nation and for the leaders of this nation. What Solomon said is still true. Righteousness exalts a nation But sin is a reproach unto any people. When people people live lives that are contrary to the will of God, then ultimately negative consequences will come forth. Why is that? Because there is a divine law. It's called sowing and reaping. And Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So we need to understand that we need to be praying for our nation. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The answer to our country, it's not the political process. I'm not in any way minimizing the political process. I'm not minimizing the democratic way, or, or the democracy that we have, rather. But the answer to the ills of our country is the gospel. And if anybody knows that, it ought to be God's people. What every man, woman, and child in this nation needs tonight, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. And so we ought to be praying for our nation's leaders. Let me give you another class of people we ought to be praying for. We ought to pray for our leadership. Our eldership. We ought to be praying on a regular basis for Brother Dio White, Brother Tim Cathy, and Brother George Jacobs. And I would encourage us to pray for their wives. We ought to pray that they can continue to be a source of encouragement to them, that they can be supportive of them. When you think about the magnitude of responsibility that rests on men who serve as elders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen tells us to obey them that have the rule over us. And one of the reasons is because these men are gonna give an account for us, to Almighty God. And the writer said that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that were unprofitable to you. We are to be submissive to our leaders, yes. But we need to understand the magnitude of weight or responsibility that rests on these men. The fact that they are overseeing our souls. And, and really, what's important is the spiritual side. When we talk about the church, we're talking about people. And elders have the responsibility of being involved in the lives of people and caring for them and shepherding them. And so. We ought to be praying for our elders. We we also ought to be praying for our deacons. And we have two, two men that serve as deacons in this congregation, Brother Herman Ray, Brother Eric Walker. We ought to pray for them and their wives, that they can continue to engage in the work or works that have been delegated to them. And I would say this, you know, you can ride a good horse to death. Sometimes we put a lot of responsibility on these two men and what they need is help. And some of the things that they need help in, you don't have to be a deacon to help them. There there are opportunities for service in this congregation. You don't have to wear the title of a deacon to be involved in the work of the church. If you want to know what you can do to help the work of the church and you don't know what what to do, ask the elders. They could use your help. And then I would submit unto you that we ought to pray for those who preach and teach the gospel. And on behalf of Nancy, we covet your prayers. We need your prayers. It is an honor to stand in front of of an assembly of people every first day of the week and preach the gospel and I understand that I'm going to give an account to Almighty God for what I preach and I want to make sure that what I preach is found in the book and I want to make sure that I do it in accordance with what is dictated in scripture that I reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching and there are a lot of times that there are a lot of times that I wonder, is there something else I could have said, should have said? Did I say this in the right way? Did I not say it in the right way? Sometimes I, I leave and I think, you know what? I could have done a lot better job. But I need your prayers. And I think that everybody who preaches and teaches the gospel, they they too would covet your prayers. And so, a lot of blessings of being a child of God. And when I look at the church, I think about the fact that it's a team effort. We're all in this thing together. And we're praying that the kingdom of God will advance and grow and be what God would have it to be. It can be what God would have it to be if we are what we ought to be because we make up the church. Very quickly, let me close by saying, that scripture teaches us about the effectiveness of prayer. Does prayer work? James said, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer is a very important part of Christianity. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul said, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. A couple of ways you could look at what he says about lifting up holy hands. Some would say that Paul here is really talking about the kind of life the person who leads lives. In other words, his life is not marred by the pollutions of sin. He's trying to live a holy life. Some would say that Paul here has in mind a posture of prayer. And there are postures. We bow our heads in prayer to Almighty God. Brother George will sometimes say that bowing is not an act of worship. Well, prayer is. Bowing is simply a posture. If you go back and look at 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple, he lifted up his hands and his palms were were facing heaven. That is a prayer posture. That's what Solomon was doing. Well, that may be what Paul is talking about here. We could kneel in prayer to God, but the bottom line is prayer works, and we ought to be grateful for it. I appreciate the opportunity to share this lesson with you tonight, and I probably have gone longer than I intended, but I appreciate your presence, and I appreciate the opportunity that we have on a weekly basis to worship Almighty God. It might be the case that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. We want to encourage you to come to Christ Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, John 10, 10. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name before others, be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. You can rise to walk in newness of life. You can become a child of the living God. You can become a member of the church. And if you'll live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2:10. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, our plea to you, come home. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?